0: Uh, Welcome back to the TV podcast. I'm Monty Ashley. I'm here with Brian Hamilton as Jason Snell is off on assignment, which is code for I don't know what he's doing. We're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 4, Oathkeeper.
1: He's hanging out in London right now, so uh, he's probably sleeping and can't watch Game of Thrones, so there we go. Oathkeeper was... man, that was a... I can see a lot of stuff changing in this episode. Like there's a ton of stuff that's really starting to ramp up and I hope something big happens soon. <laughs> well, um, no, cause I haven't read have the books happened. and as I was, um, <laughs> well, as I, um, I haven't read the books unlike you and Jason. So I, uh, in preparation for this, I went back and looked at the mutiny of Cras- at Craster's keep, uh, on the ice and fire wiki. And I was, uh, very scared of spoilers, but I'm excited to see, uh, well, let's start at the top, uh, with, uh, Daenerys and how she, uh, is hanging out at Marine.
0: Yeah, um, she has figured out a very efficient way to take over cities, in which she assembles a huge army outside the city, and then doesn't use it at all. She's got a fantastic sales pitch, and most of the, uh...
1: Most of the stuff that gets her into the city and gets her control of the city is just from her talking to everyone else and flinging uh, what's it, the chains and shackles into the city.
0: She doesn't use the army at all. If I were a city in this area, I think my first plan would be to stop letting all the slaves up at the battlements to hear what she has to say. Because that <laughs> seems like the first mistake they're making. Yeah, if
1: they're going to have slaves, they've really got to uh, back off on their First Amendment uh, rights there.
0: Yeah. Now, one thing I really liked in there, I'm going to call it the invasion of Marine, although it wasn't much of an invasion, was that while the characters were talking Valyrian, while the slaves were chatting, I actually recognized the words Valar Mergul- Morgulis, as Grey Worm said it, as meaning all men must die. And that was a really fun little touch because,
1: you know, we all remember that intense catchphrase from season two when that was, I think, the last episode title, and that's, uh, that was definitely something I'm glad they brought back into it, something that uh, cues
0: longtime viewers in on, you know, you understand, uh, Valyrian. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying I'm going to get the Valyrian tattoo or anything. It's not quite Klingon or Elvish yet, but it makes it feel like a language, and I'm sure, this being 2014, it is a full language that linguists have worked out grammar and verb uh, conjugation. Have there been fans
1: that came up with, you know, uh, Klingon or Elvish-style dictionaries or anything for this? And uh, in the books, do they they didn't have this language all planned out for the books, right? This was
0: all done for the show? I believe it's all done for the show. They might have had phrases in the book. But i don 't think they did full pages of dialogue the way we 're getting up in the show she 's so. incredibly efficient with uh you know with
1: grabbing these cities, and you know every other season that she 's been doing she 's uh, spent the entire season trying to get in and do doing this and here we are four episodes in three if you count the one that you know she wasn 't in at all, and here she is you know already taken over the city. there was a bit where she had the uh, the banner, the Targaryen banner, hanging over the main statue that you see in the, uh, in the opening credits. Yeah, it in the reminded me a lot of you know Nazi iconography and the swastika with the eagle. Sure, That sure. was really unnerving. I don't know if I trust her anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure you should trust her. I mean, she did end her little scene with crucifying a whole bunch of people, most of whom probably did not crucify the slaves she's angry about.
1: Yeah, that was really unnerving, especially seeing, like, the kind of bastardized uh, version of the, you know, Christian crucifixion. That was a little bit, uh, Yeah. But uh, she got her job done and then moved out of the story again. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, they opened the episode with her instead of closing in for five minutes after, like every other episode. But, you know, here she is, five more minutes and gone
0: again as we Mm -hmm. move
1: over to uh, King's Landing for most of the episode.
0: Yeah, in, and in King's Landing, we, we started with Jamie and Bronn sparring, which didn't do much, except for me, I was really fascinated to learn that Bronn actually likes Tyrion. Because you we, could, could, we could never tell before whether he was just humoring his paycheck or what, but there's nothing to be gained from Bronn telling Jamie, you're going to go fight for him now? Except- yeah, no,
1: I've... Really liked seeing Braun. Um, you know, he's such a likable guy, and even though we were never really sure if he liked Tyrion, you know, we always rooted for him, and that was a really nice, touching moment to see uh, that he actually did like him.
0: Yeah, he, he always brought entertainment to the screen. <laughs> so it's good that he isn't purely mercenary. And of course, that led directly to Jamie and Tyrion comparing prison cells, or Jamie comparing prison cells. Tyrion didn't seem that into the topic.
1: Yeah, Jamie was. Uh... He was really kind of boasting the fact that he was, you know, brought or dragged around by Rob Stark and his army for uh, the better part of the show, <laughs> and I was really actually going they back to uh, Bronn to...
0: and uh, I'm still not sure I entirely buy their dynamic. They're supposed yeah, to be brothers. It's, it's weird and seeing them together like that, especially with this.
1: Jamie. Kind of, uh, with Jaime really starting to warm up to Tyrion now that they're both in the same kind of... <laughs> well, not the same boat, but Tyrion's really down in the dumps.
0: Yeah. Tyrion did suggest that be, they be
1: called the Kingslayer Brothers. Dibs and, on the band name. Yeah. <laughs> and I was that, really hoping for a uh, Princess Bride. I... Uh, you do not know I'm left-handed in uh, in the sparring scene. But, you know, you can't get everything,
0: especially not with Game of Thrones. Yeah, I feel this show needs to steer clear of things like Princess Bride references. <laughs> it really took me out of the show a couple episodes ago when Joffrey got his sword and asked the crowd, what should I name it? And the first thing that was shouted from the crowd was Stormbringer. <sighs> yeah, that was a little
1: bit of a... Distraction from the real world like in Westeros that they're trying to create for the show. Yeah.
0: I like Elric books. I didn't think <laughs> the people on this show read Elric books.
1: Yeah, that was a little. Ugh, I can't believe they threw that in there. Um, so, Jamie and Tyrion, they're trying, finally trying to team up. And I thought it was really interesting seeing uh, the, dyna- the sides change, the dynamic change. Uh, Jamie's really starting to. Uh, not side so much with uh, you know, Cersei and I guess the
0: now deceased Joffrey yeah uh, jumping ahead towards Jamie's scene later on with Podrick and Bronn or rather, sorry, jumping ahead to Jamie's scene later on with Podrick and Brienne he's explicitly going against her orders, he's sending Brienne off to get Sansa and save her and getting Podrick out of the city just as a favor to Tyrion I am so glad Podrick is back. I was really
1: scared that the last episode would have been (laughs) goodbye. And, you know, he was one of my favorite minor characters. And I'm so glad that, at least for the foreseeable future, it looks like we're going to have Brienne and Podrick hanging out and uh, being nomadic.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of the way the show just pairs two people off and lets them have a bunch of fun dialogue scenes together. I don't know that Podrick and Brienne are going to be as fun as Arya and the Hound. Partly because they don't talk as much as either Arya or the Hound, but they could have an interesting dynamic, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing them try it out.
1: Along with that, you know, Jamie and uh, and Bronn they have a fantastic uh, they have a fantastic uh, you know chemistry between them, and I'm excited to see where all of that goes. Especially now that Jamie's kind of having a change of heart, and uh, going back to the scene with Jamie and Cersei you can see why he's having this change of heart. She (laughs) is
0: completely disregarding him. Yeah, she's gone over the edge. She... I like in that scene how every explanation Jamie has for his actions makes perfect sense. Well, I had to tell Caitlin this so that she would let me leave. I was trying to come back to you. And she immediately interprets it the worst possible way, that he's making vows to their sworn enemy. Oh, and he doesn't even mean his vows in the first place.
1: <laughs> He's really trying to cover his butt up here, but you know, Cersei's definitely bringing him down because she can't trust anyone, not even him, especially after the you know, really controversial, really graphic rape twin-cest yeah. scene last time around. And she's not wrong
0: that he is a questionable Lord Commander of the King's Guard. As I understand it, he was in the King's Guard for Aegon Tar- Targaryen, who he killed personally. He was in the King's Guard for Robert Baratheon, who died. He was in the King's Guard for Joffrey, who died. It's He's possibly... really not
1: doing a great job.
0: Yeah, and he was bragging about how well guarded Tommen was. <laughs> Turns out,
1: Marjorie just walked right in there. And they had their fun little scene. And going back to uh, you know, the scenes earlier with uh, Sansa and Littlefinger yeah. and then the Tyrells, you can really start to see that Marjorie is being really manipulative. And I would have thought the scene between uh, Marjorie and Joffrey's you know, little brother would have been a lot more genuine or fun or sweet in any other you know, episode before we knew all of these inner machinations between uh, Littlefinger and the Tyrells. But I feel like, you know, Marjorie was never someone we could trust.
0: And this really proved it, the way that she acted towards him. That scene really reminded me of Dangerous Liaisons. (laughs) Except Marjorie was being John Malkovich, sneaking into Uma Thurman's bedroom. (laughs) And just working her evil will on Tommen, saying, Oh, and I'll be yours forever, blink blink. Well, I gotta go now. (laughs) That kid doesn't
1: stand a chance. No, he doesn't. He's going to be torn apart once uh he ascends to the throne, <laughs> yeah. if he ever does. Yeah. I really don't know. <laughs> well, I think is, shouldn't he
0: technically be king right now?
1: I think he is, but you know everyone's still so, so shaken about the fact that Joffrey's dead. How long has it been since that? Like has it been a week or
0: the show doesn't do such a good job with yeah. time. Well, uh based on the Sansa like this this the scene with Sansa and Littlefinger could have happened 10 minutes after the previous episode. They can't have been on that boat very long for her still to be saying, did you kill Joffrey? What happened here?
1: Exactly. You know, that kind of stuff had to have happened very early on. They could have just parsed it up to make the episodes work, but I do think that that conversation had to have happened very soon. At least last episode or two episodes ago, I guess, they, um they paired the very opening with the very ending of the previous one, Joffrey was killed. As soon as it boots up, you see, you know, there he is lying dead, and you know exactly what's happening. Yeah.
0: And um, for that matter, I think it's interesting that Olena, old lady Tyrell, played by a <laughs> rig, said two things that were fascinating to me. One, she pretty much explicitly said she killed Joffrey. Everything and, but, yeah. Well, I mean, she said... You don't think I'd let you marry that beast to you? And Marjorie seemed really shocked by that, so my interpretation of that is that Olena killed him, and Marjorie did not know that was going to happen. But that's not nearly as much fun as her bragging about how she seduced some kid in her younger days, and how the next day the boy couldn't bloody walk. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they've got some really screwed up, you know, <laughs> social norms in the show because uh, they've, you know, you got her talking to Marjorie all about her, you know, previous, you know, sexploits, and then, you know, it's almost like the HBO commercials now—the awkward uh, parent son <laughs>
0: watching them together. That's what this reminded me of, sort of. But I keep in the back of my mind, I keep remembering that's Diana Rigg. <laughs> we know what she looked like when she was young and hot. And she was amazing! And now
1: here she is, you know, firing off wonderful little quips and being this uh, really fantastic character here on Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah. It does look like she's leaving, which is a shame. I have really enjoyed her. Her character was correct to observe that mostly what she seems seems to do is take leisurely strolls through gardens, though.
1: Now... You mentioned she may be leaving. I mean, she was much more expanded upon here than in the books, right? Or was she not even in the books? She's in the books, and her
0: character... Now I should warn you, while I have read the books, it was a long time ago and only just past the end of this season. So I'm not going to remember things perfectly, but while she is in the books, she's not a focal character. We're more interested in the Lannisters and the Starks so they say things about Elena or things about Marjorie, but we don't really see Elena and Marjorie hanging out together being awesome like this.
1: And they I, really give her a lot more to do here in the show then because yeah. if she's only in the books for that little bit, you know, how can they be giving her all of this stuff to do here in this season? Well,
0: I think you have to because you when you're shooting the show, you notice that Natalie Dormer is fantastic and makes everything she says fascinating and Diana Rigg seems to be competing for the uh, Dowager Countess role, even though somebody already has that. So, while the characters were, I feel like they were more backstage in the book, the characters were doing things, so now we're just going to get to see them more, which is a really good way of adding value for people who have read the books.
1: Right, right. The only reason I'm hesitant to start reading the books, A, because I'll be spending hours and hours reading (laughs) things I've already seen, and B, because, you know, I don't see so much value in reading ahead of this show, which I love so much, and I started watching the show right when it came out, and I'm really excited to see where the show goes, not necessarily how it adapts the books, but, you know, I've seen people really into it, and the kind of people that really watch the audience rather than the show during things like Joffrey's Death and the Red
0: Wedding. Yeah, it's I think it's more fun to watch the Red Wedding fresh and say, Well, this is kind of a boring wedding. Oh my god, what just <laughs> happened, and have that experience rather than be watching the show thinking, Oh boy, I can't wait to see the next scene and then go on the internet and see how people have reacted to it. <laughs>
1: I remember when all of that happened, there was so much press around it that people uh, that hadn't seen the show yet, they probably expect something major to happen around that point. So it's like, you know, why bother with the
0: spoiler kind of thing? Yeah, it's always the penultimate episode so far. That's when Ned Stark got killed. That's when the Red Wedding was. Blackwater wasn't that shocking, but it was still a really big episode.
1: Right, it. right. And here in this season, I'm excited to see what they do, given the fact that they killed Joffrey off in the second episode <laughs> of the season.
0: Well Why wait around on that?
1: <laughs> you want to move up north to the wall?
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: Fantastic. Well, here we are. Uh, I have in my notes, um, John Dre the Giant has a posse. John Snow's rounding people up to uh, head back over to Croster's Keep to, uh, to see and uh, you know, get justice for Mancerator.
0: I don't know that he's going there to get justice. He seems to be going there for three reasons. One, justice for Mance. Two, he has to kill the mutineers to keep information out of the wildlings' hands. And three, he thinks there's a chance Bran might be headed there. Which sounded crazy, but then it turns out Bran was headed there, so good call, John.
1: Yeah, knowing George and uh, the way he likes to play with our heartstrings, I can't imagine that reunion's going to go well or happen (laughs) at all. Yeah,
0: that... That was really mean in the last season where he had Jon Snow and Brandon Rickon in the same castle, but kept them apart. That was heartbreaking, and I hope he doesn't do that again this season. Yeah. One thing I would like more of on the show in general is people from different storylines meeting up. Even if that's just... going to make things really nice because, you know, there's
1: Daenerys, that whole tangent of, uh, you know, five minutes every episode, let's go across the narrow sea. Yeah. And I feel like having the, you know, characters meet up and the different lines kind of crossing, that's going to combat a lot of that yeah. and make the show a lot more enjoyable
0: and watchable. And even when they don't meet up, just things like Tywin saying Daenerys Targaryen is alive and she has three dragons and an army, you think, oh, that's nice, at least... He knows she's out there. But then, you know, the viewers,
1: here we are reminded of the fact that there's these freaking White Walkers that can destroy (laughs) everything in five minutes if they really wanted to. Well, they seem more interested in babies. Babies are cute. What's with this show and babies? I mean, they really seem to play up the fact that they... It's HBO and they can get away with baby murdering, like, (laughs) on par with, you know, the fact that they throw boobs into every single show they do.
0: Well... I think it's pretty clear. Guys like boobs, ladies like babies. You've got a four-quadrant show right there. <laughs> that's exactly what they have on their
1: minds, I guess. I mean, watching the White Walkers and watching, you know, the people at Crouster's Keep sacrificing these babies, it really kind of, that's something that doesn't sit right with me. I don't know. But sure. I'm excited to see what's going on with the White Walkers because well, here we
0: are four years in and they're still just teasing them. Yeah. To be fair, they did not sacrifice this baby. They left the baby out for the gods, the baby was taken and given to, taken by one snow zombie, given to another snow zombie, and then got turned into a snow zombie?
1: I don't know, that was weird. Did they, you know, suck out their soul mentor style, or did they just kind of freeze them? I... It,
0: it looked to me like the baby was frozen. It's still there, but its eyes went all crystalline.
1: There's a Disney-HBO crossover somewhere Ooh, here. Ooh, Yeah. Do you want to build a white walker for... No, that's not going (laughs) to work. That doesn't scan. Mm. So what I'm excited to see is, um, you know, everyone on the show is becoming nomadic. Here we are. We have uh, Arya and the Hound, you know, walking around and just being them and being fun. You got Bran with Hodor walking around trying to figure things out. I've always thought that storyline was lacking until this episode. And then you've got now, I guess... uh, You know, Brienne and Podrick, they're about to go nomadic. You got John and his posse, they're about to go nomadic. I don't know how I feel about all these characters just wandering around, figuring out things to do. It kind of gets in the way of what
0: they were doing with the opening credits. Because at first, they just had each city somebody is in is in the opening credits. And if somebody leaves City A and goes to City B, City A stops appearing and City B starts appearing. And they would actually change the opening credits every episode or two, at least in the first season. But now, most of the people, like you say, aren't in cities at all. And so the opening credits are absorbed with things like Winterfell. And there's nobody even at Winterfell.
1: I always thought that was weird. Like, why keep it in there if there's nobody there? Just
0: have the plumes of smoke rising. At this point, I think Winterfell just represents the Starks, but there aren't even all that many Starks. We have maybe
1: three, and they're all on the run. No one has any idea where they are or what they're doing.
0: Well, there are four official Starks. Bran and Rickon are both still alive, although Rickon went off with the crazy-haired lady and hasn't been seen since. That made
1: me feel happy, because now he's back to his average number of lines in the series. (laughs) Yeah, poor Rickon. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure he needs to be a character, honestly. They could have just rolled him in with someone else, but I'm sure he's important later, keeping, given that he's another star kid that's on the run.
0: Yeah, you can never be sure, though. Like, Tommen got no lines for the first three seasons, and now he's king, suddenly, <laughs> which is a shame. He did it the easy way. Well,. Perhaps being Joffrey's younger brother is not the easy anything. There's no way that being part of that family is very easy. (laughs)
1: But then again, you know, the show does such a good job at ramping up things and showing you what's going to be important later on. You can go back and see all this wonderful foreshadowing, and I don't know if it's a fault on the uh, showrunner's part or just the fact that, you know, he's not that important. But here he is now, he's king after having zero lines and zero input on anything else.
0: It might be some sort of point about how the uselessness of war? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm guessing fan about of that. 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 That's a popular literary theme. Mm. War is usually useless in
1: literature. <laughs> <laughs> you got all quiet on the Western Front yeah. and uh, you know all that kind of stuff telling you about how useless war is. All quiet on the Northern Front with Johnson. No, that's not going to work either. It's not all quiet up there. <laughs> well, as far as they know, it is, you know, no one's seen a White Walker for years except for Jon Snow.
0: But Sam saw one, too.
1: Well, he saw one, too, yeah. He killed one. I always thought it was, like, watching this episode, seeing them recap just about everything about the North and seeing them re-explain, oh, we take these babies and offer them as uh, sacrifice to the gods and having Jon's very long Spartacus-style speech, saying, who will join me <laughs> and... Uh, Here's then, why. You, Points A, B, and C, and, and then... And then getting then,
0: a very slow wave of volunteers. Very
1: dramatically paced wave of volunteers. Well,
0: I think it was supposed to be dramatically paced. To me, it came off very, very slow. But it was pretty slow. After I mean, the, the music did a good job of making it interesting. Yeah, But after the first couple of people have volunteered, we can just... Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but then they
1: just recapped everything and here's why point a point b point c here's why we sacrifice these babies to the gods i feel like there's something really big that's going to happen just because you know they put the white walkers in the previously on game of thrones segment they recapped everything there they spent a good chunk of the episode up here and then of course there's the end tag with uh, the white walkers and their uh, little headquarters there i have in my notes wwhq and i keep thinking it's walter white's headquarters <laughs>
0: It's basically the Fortress of Solitude Oh yeah, basically It's you know, got the uh, crystals and everything
1: Their Krypton is, I don't know, Valyrian steel uh, No, it's that glass stuff Oh yeah, the glass stuff that they used to uh, That uh, Sam used to kill the White Walker last season Yeah, I would recommend they find some more of that Does anybody but him know about that? Or is that like folklore? Or um, I... He told people about it, but they don't seem to believe him mm, Fair enough, I mean, he is basically Samwise Gamgee Yeah no, he's Well. <laughs> it's a whole different fat character. Uh, I mean, three different consonants. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh,
0: so the ep- title of the episode is Oathkeeper, which is the name Brienne gives her sword. I think it's interesting that Brienne is possibly the most good person we can deal with. Like, she's a loyal, good person who is Desperate to fulfill her vow to Caitlyn, who's dead, and to, I think, make Jamie proud of her. But I don't know how well that's going to work out for her, because the last person who was really into honor and keeping his word was Ned Stark.
1: Yeah, they really don't seem to value that kind of honor and that kind of, you know, dignity in the show, especially not with uh, the Lannisters, who can get anything they want just by being conniving little... <laughs> not gonna swear and they you know Brienne she's loyal almost to a fault she's served so many people uh so loyally and you know Cersei points this out in the purple wedding episode you know here she is you served uh you served Catelyn Stark you served the Kingslayer you know who are you what are you doing and it's almost a fault that she's this kind of loyal to everyone she seems to come in contact with. Yeah, she doesn't really
0: have any goals of her own. Just fulfill whatever the last quest you were given was. In a way she's, she's like, like... an MMO a, character. Yeah, I was just gonna say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now they, uh they really seem to play up the fact that she is a lone wolf, and the fact that, well, wolf like the Starks, you know. There's Ned Stark that's this valiant, honorable person. There's Rob and Caitlin, They're all dead.
0: You yep. know, there's no way this can end well for, uh, for Brienne. Well, one of my recurring thoughts about the show is there's no way this can end well for anybody. Mm. Like, when there were five people vying for the Iron Throne, there was nobody I really thought ought to be king.
1: Really? I think that. Well, actually, yeah, you're right. There like, really wasn't anyone that could run this
0: continent. Yeah, very Joffrey well. had a claim, but was a horrible person. Rob <laughs> Stark didn't really have a claim, and also, I never saw any reason. He was just fighting a war for revenge. There was nothing he was going to do about ruling the country. Renly and Stannis both. Nobody ever said, here's, nobody ran a political campaign, is I guess what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, everyone, like, all the peasants and all the people that live in Westeros have their own allegiances, but it's all based on, you know, fealty and where they live and who gives them bread in the winter, that kind of stuff. It's not about, you know, any sort of democratic process or anything. That's definitely something the show leaves on the floor. I wanted Rob Stark to win the war, but I don't know that I actually wanted him to be King Rob Stark. That would have been interesting to see him down in King's Landing trying to micromanage everything about Westeros. I
0: think he also would have gotten eaten alive. Not quite the way his father did, but Varys and Littlefinger would have been there waiting for him. Just like they were there waiting for,
1: uh, you know, Sansa. I'm really excited to see where all of that goes. The, uh... The fact that she's on the boat with him and they're trying to, you know, escape King's Landing and the fact that he is finally confiding to her and to us as the viewers that, you know, these weird little intermachinations are happening below the surface of King's Landing. Yeah, and of course he
0: says they're going to the Vale to Sansa's Aunt Lisa, which is also where the Hound is supposed to be taking Arya. That's right. I didn't make that connection.
1: They may have another meetup. Maybe in the penultimate episode this time, they'll uh, have these almost meetups and then kill off
0: half of them. <laughs> what I'm hoping for... On the show, The Amazing Race, it's always fun for me when you see one team in the foreground, but in the background of the same shot is another team at a different stage of the race.
1: Huh. So the moral of the story is that the creators of Game of Thrones should really take a page out of reality TV's book, stage it like that, and then you get to see the kinds of things like that where, you know, you have those, oh, so close, so
0: close. Oh, I I just think it would be fun if we see the Hound and Arya riding along, and then the camera pans slightly to the right, and we see Brienne and Podrick riding in the other direction. <laughs> Just have a series, a whole episode of hilarious misconnections.
1: Speaking of hilarious Game of Thrones, have you seen that uh, bad lip reading of uh, Game of Thrones, where they turned the show into a medieval theme park full of incompetent employees? I have not. That exists. That uh, maybe we can put that in the show notes. Uh, that sounds great. I will attempt to do that. <laughs> what else? I've got. Uh, we don't have Stannis. We
0: don't have Arya at all in this episode. Nope. Wow. Well... Ramsey and Roose Bolton and their fun and games with Theon Greyjoy, now named Reek. Uh, those don't mm. appear at all. I do have in my notes, drinking wine out of a skull does not work.
1: Yeah, they really seem to have the whole concept of a cup wrong. You
0: can't really have those jagged <laughs> edges. And, well, and I don't sure know. If it's, That was actually a realistic scene because you see people with goblets made out of skulls. Skulls aren't designed for that. There's holes in the bottom. And the sides and the yeah. uh, and the top, if you want to so, drink from it. So I really liked seeing somebody who had clearly thought, "I'm going to take over this keep, and we're just going to rape everybody, and I'm going to be drinking wine out of a skull." And it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, everything's changing, and I'm really excited to see all these really big things happening. This was another table setting episode that wasn't just visiting everyone; it was establishing that you know John's going out and. Uh, know, the Tyrells are behind Joffrey's murder. That kind of stuff is what's exciting, and not necessarily a you know traditional, just visit everyone, see how they're doing kind of episode. Everything advanced, at least a little bit, and that's what's exciting to me.
0: Yeah, well, everything that was in the
1: episode advanced a little bit. Mm, yeah, that's true. We still don't know what's going on with Reek and uh, Arya. Or St- Stannis. Ooh. Or Stannis. I hope his uh, bank letter uh,
0: got through, Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for Stannis's Bank Loan. (laughs) It takes four to six business days to
1: get uh, things across Westeros like that. (laughs) It should take longer. Oh, wait, no, I
0: forgot. They they send ravens.
1: Yeah, they send ravens. They're surprisingly reliable. Of all the things in this show that's, you know, supernatural and just weird and, uh, you know, not very kosher, I feel like the ravens, you know, delivering things exactly where they're supposed to go are something that's, you know, even more implausible. And on that note, (laughs) it's been fun, Monty. Thanks for uh, allowing me to be on the show. Thanks for being on the show, Brian.